Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. And you can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 as we look at discovering the joy of obedience. Continuing this series on restore, we've said that God wants his broken people to be restored to him spiritually, that he would, we would come to a place where he alone is master of all of our lives so that we in turn can be used for him to draw others to himself. So you think about joy and obedience, those two words usually don't go together. Just ask your kids, right? Think about your childhood. I love what Billy Sunday said about joy in the Christian life, an evangelist in the uh, early uh, 1900s. He said, if you have no joy in your religion, then there is a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I like that. Christianity, this relationship that we have with God is not just a religion. It is a relationship with the life-giving, creative creator of the universe, and he wants it to be joyful. And when it comes to the issue of obedience, there should be joy. Well, if you would follow along as I read, beginning in verse 13 in chapter 8. Remember, Ezra has read the book of the law, the the scrolls that talk about the, the need for God's people to obey. And as they responded in obedience, now there's some more in-depth study of the word and some specific things that they need to be doing. On the second day, the family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, assembled before Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booths during the festival of the seventh month. Some translations say tabernacles, tents, booths is this translation. So they proclaimed and spread this news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, just as it is written. The people went out and brought back branches and made booths for themselves on their rooftops and courtyards and the court of the house of God and the square by the water gate and the square by the gate of Ephraim. And the whole community that had returned from the exile made booths and lived in them. And they had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. And there was tremendous joy. That's our key verse. Ezra read out of the book of the law of God every day from the first day to the last. And the Israelites celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, there was an assembly according to the ordinance. We're going to follow a little bit of that pattern it's, it's really, to me, so interesting that today as we talk about the children of Israel celebrating this festival of booths or Feast of the Tabernacles, today is actually the day that they're celebrating that in Israel. This, this is today as they begin this seven-day celebration going into the first week of October. They're celebrating exactly what the, the scrolls told the people of God to do. And here we are on this passage today. I wish I could say that I planned that. Um, and I, I would be a genius, but I did not plan that. I think God did. So these people come and look at the word of God. They begin to study it deeper and God impresses upon their heart there's some things they need to do and they responded in obedience and with joy. So some truths today of how we can be a people who discover joy and obedience. Number one, first of all, we have to become students of God's word. Become students of God's word. 
That's simple, isn't it? Look at verse 13. On the second day, the family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, assembled with Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. They had the Old Testament scrolls of those, those books of Moses, most likely the whole, the Pentateuch, the first five books. And as they begin to study them, God revealed things to him. We, first of all, if we're going to be a student, we have to study the book that he's given us to study. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself to God, a worker who does, doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly handling the word of truth. Some translations say rightly dividing. We are told in the word of God, we're to be able to present ourselves to God as someone who, who says, Lord, I'm going to study your word. I'm going to be a student. But implied in being a student of the word, to study the word, this is important. You have to be open to the word. See, a student of the Word of God is not just going to get that information, but we're going to be open to what God has to say to us through His Word. I'd like you to look at several passages with me in in the Psalms. First of all, Psalm 119, verse 17. By the way, the entire Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. Every verse in there is, is an expression of praise or instruction about God's Word. But look with me at verse 17 to begin with. The psalmist says, deal generously with your servant so that I might live. Then I will keep your word. That deal generously, some translations say, God, deal bountifully. What the psalmist is saying is, God, here I am. I'm open. I'm receptive. I'm willing. We kind of pray it this way sometimes. Lord, have your way in me. Have your way in your will in me. That's what he's praying. And look at verse 18. Open my eyes that I may contemplate wonderful things from your instruction. You ever heard that verse before? I pray it every week. God, open my eyes as we open your word. Open our eyes that we would see, behold, understand wonderful truth from your instruction today. That is an attitude of openness to the word of God. To come and say, God, here I am. I'm ready to hear from you. I'm ready for you to speak to me through your word. Some people say, well, I never hear God speak to me. Well, if you're reading his word, he's speaking to you. Look at Psalm 40, verse 8. The psalmist said, I delight to do your will. Your instruction lives within me. This, this sense of delighting to obey. Look with me at Psalm 19. I will find it. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7. By the way, look at all the different words in here that the psalmist uses to describe the word of God. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. Isn't that good? The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up like a a child at Christmas. Christmas morning, their eyes are like this because they're anticipating what it's going to be like. Or maybe they walk downstairs and find their gifts or see the tree. Bright eyes, that's what the psalmist says. That's, that's what the word of God does. It, it opens my eyes, my eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The, the ordinances of the Lord are reliable, altogether righteous. And listen to how he explains this. They, meaning the words of God, the word of God, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey that comes from the honeycomb. Doesn't get much sweeter than that, does it? In addition, your servant is warned by them, and there is great reward in keeping them. Back to Psalm 119, picking up on that same theme of the sweetness of the word of God. Look at verse 103 now. 
The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 103, how sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Now, the psalmist expressed to God that studying his word is something that brings delight and joy, and there should be an openness and an excitement about it. Whenever you open the word of God, can you go to it? Can we go to it with this sense of, God, I want to be like a kid at Christmas. I want to see you direct and guide and lead me with truth. Someone likened studying the Bible to mining for gold. And they said sometimes when, you, when a, a, a miner is mining, they might have day after day after day of just some dust. But it's gold dust and it's good. It'll add up, it's good. Some days you might find some little tiny nuggets there, and those are good days. Other days when you're mining for gold, you, you find the mother load. You find giant nuggets, and that's the way God's word is. If, if you go every day expecting God to give you that truth, that's what he's going to do. I think about Zacchaeus and, and, and Bartimaeus, both in Jericho, and how when Jesus was coming into town, what they did. We, I love using the analogy. I think Donald Whitley first shared this when I discovered that, that he says what Zacchaeus did was he put himself in the path of God's grace. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? A wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed his way, he looked up in the tree, and what did he say? Come on down. I'm going to your house today. What did Zacchaeus do? Basically, he said, I want to meet Jesus, and I want to have Jesus impact my life, so I'm going to climb this tree right in the middle of the road. Maybe it's one of those roads like in Fulton where it goes around the tree. You know one of those deals? I'm going to, I'm going to climb this tree, and Jesus won't miss me. And when we go to God's word with this openness, it's like Zacchaeus who says, I'm going to put myself right in the middle of God's grace, so God's going to meet with me expecting the, the, the hand of God, the, the heart of God, the voice of God to communicate to me through his word. I'm just going to put myself there. And you can only do that as you spend time in the word. A student open to the word. Number two, if we're going to discover the joy of obedience, we need to accept the scriptures as God's authoritative word. If you're having trouble with authoritative, uh, perfect, powerful, inerrant, Look at verse 14, back in Nehemiah chapter 8. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booths during the month, during the festival of the seventh month. They found that God spoke to Moses in the word, and it was God's word to them. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God. That means God breathed. It's not just another book. It's not just a, another like an inspired novel. It is inspired as God breathed and it's profitable for rebuking, for correcting, for, for teaching and training in righteousness so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is God breathed. It is God's word to us. What a privilege to know that God has given this revelation of himself to us in written form in his word. And I need to accept it as his word. When we're parenting our kids, sometimes we tell them, obey me because I said so. Right? You ever, anybody ever tempted to say that? I heard that when I was a kid a bunch. I said, I will never say that to my kids. But, right? In, in essence, if, if I come to God's word and I wonder, why is this reliable? God should be able to say, because I said so. Because it is my word. We talked about that last time, I think. It doesn't return void. It doesn't come back 
without having an impact. When I was just getting into the, the, the plan, God was calling me into ministry in the late 70s and uh, early 80s. And our, our national convention of, of Baptists was going through a difficult time. There were people saying that the first chapters of the book of Genesis were an allegory. There were people in our seminaries teaching that in our schools. There were people saying that not all of God's word is reliable. And, and I, I joined a group that said, that's not right. We've got to stand up for that. And, and I, I saw a group of godly people turn a denomination around from going the way of most mainline denominations of liberalism to come back to conservative biblical values. And, and what we said in that whole thing is it is about the authority of God's word. Folks, if we question this, we have nothing to stand on. God's word is authoritative, and I have to accept it that way. And when it's authoritative, in verse 8 there, verse, verse 14, I mean, in chapter 8, th- these commands that God gave, those commands are not burdensome. Those commands are there because God wants to give us boundaries. We need them, don't we? Don't you tell your kids that? These boundaries are important. You'd be willing to slap their wrist when they reach for a hot stove. You'd be willing to stop them and, and scold them even spank them if you had to to keep them from running out in the street. You do whatever you have to do to say, there's some things that are not safe for you. You you put uh, parental guidelines, hopefully, on your computers and your your TV so that that you protect them from that stuff that comes at home. and, And our kids would say, well, that's not fair. You say, well, I'm a parent. You don't want to pull the because I said so line, but you want to say, these boundaries are here for your good. James said, the, this is the word of God. It's God's law. It gives perfect freedom. How can something that is restrictive, that's what the world says about this, right? How can something that's restrictive bring, bring freedom? Because it gives us boundaries as God protects us. I love Elizabeth Elliot tells a story about one of her friends. She had, her friend had two little boys, an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old. I think it was an 8-year-old. It was Saturday morning. And mom went to wake him up, and he would not get up. And she said, son, get up. He said, I, I'm not getting up this morning. And she said, okay, said, are you, are you sick? He said, no, I just don't want to get up. He said, I think should, today should be a free day. She said, what do you mean a free day? He said, well, I shouldn't have to do anything I don't want to do, and I should get to do whatever I want. So mom wisely says, well, son, how do you think that would go if the whole family operated that way? Of course, eight-year-old doesn't care, just about him. So she said, okay, today's a free day. She let him sleep in. About 11.30, he gets up and comes stumbling in, rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, comes in the kitchen. Where's breakfast, Mom? She said, there's no breakfast today. Why not? She said, it's a free day. I didn't feel like making breakfast. So he's kind of bummed about that. So he goes and gets the Cheerios and milk. He makes his own breakfast, and he's sitting there kind of bummed, but he's eating his own breakfast. He looks out there, and his older brother's riding his bicycle down the driveway. And he hollers, hey, that's my bicycle. Stop. His brother says, I don't have to stop. Today's a free day. He said, but that's my bike. He said, I don't care. This is what I want to do. Well, the day went all the way like that until supper time. And the little boy discovered that maybe it's not such a good thing to be free that way. Maybe we shouldn't say to everybody, you can do whatever you want. By the way, that's our society, isn't it? Whatever's right for you is right. That's not what this says. It says we're to be responsible. God says, I'm going to give you some boundaries. And maybe you're struggling in your life with some of the guidelines and some of the truths and some of the principles and maybe some of just the clear teachings of God's word. Maybe you see a step back and accept it. It's God's word because he said so. He knows what's best. Father does know what's best. Number three, if I'm going to be 
someone who's joyful in my obedience. I need to allow my faith to be contagious. Allow your faith to be contagious. Look at verse 15. So they proclaimed and spread this news, the news that God had given them some guidelines and structure to remember him. They spread this news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, saying, go to the hill country, bring back all these branches, and let's celebrate this feast of tabernacles or festival of booths. See, God wants broken people to be restored spiritually so that that he is in a place of lordship in their life so they can attract, so that he can attract others to himself through them. That contagious faith is how God works. God wants this faith of ours to be something people say, I want that. In the same passage in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, he talks about salt is going to make people hungry and thirsty for truth. And then he says you're the light of the world. Let your light shine. Right? This little light of mine, what am I going to do? I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. By the way, that's a song. I'm going to allow my light to be contagious, and it's going to be joy that's contagious. I know life is hard. I know it's tough. I know the older I get, the tougher it seems to get physically. Uh, Somebody said getting old is not for wimps, right? It's not easy. Stuff happens. Crisis in our life. and, And there's a temptation for us just to be all doom and gloom and wringing our hands. How is that going to attract people to the gospel if it's all woe is me? Someone was, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that's ever lived in England, was talking to his preaching students, and he was telling them about when they, when they preach on heaven. He said, gentlemen, when you preach on heaven, your face ought to light up. And somebody asked him, what about when we preach on hell? He said, well, your everyday face will do for that. If we go around communicating to our community, to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, that, oh, we're just suffering for Jesus, you know, I've got his word, life's tough. That's not very contagious, is it? By the way, that will will spread in the body, but that won't attract anybody to Christ. But if we say, God has given me these boundaries that have kept me pure, that have kept my eyes from looking at the wrong thing, that have kept my heart from pursuing the wrong thing, all these things that God says in his word, these things that I've implemented in my life because it's truth, it's given me freedom to walk in joy and obedience. I thank God for those boundaries. I'd be a mess if I didn't have them. You probably would too. Our faith needs to be a a joyful, celebrative is that a celebrative, celebrative, contagious faith? English teachers will talk to me later, I'm sure. Number four, if we're going to have this joyful obedience, we need to remember the past activity of God. Remember the past activity of God so that you will have a foundation for trust and obedience today. Long sentence, I know. I started to make that two points, but it is what it is. Remember the past activity of God so that I will have a foundation for trust and obedience today. Look at verse 17. Here's what they were to do. The whole community that returned from the exile made booths and lived in them. They had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day. And there was tremendous joy. Let me just go back and give you a little bit of a history lesson. 
Moses was the deliverer. He's spoken of because they're reading the books of Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. They were slaves. They wandered through the, through the wilderness for 40 years because of doubt. They didn't think God could give them the promised land. They really got to the promised land, and that generation said, we can't go in because we're afraid. And that generation wandered in the desert for 40 years till they died. Finally, they, till that generation dies off, the younger generation, full of Joshua's and Caleb's, now the older guys, say to the younger guys, let's take the land. And so they go take possession of the land, and God led them. He was their, he was their, their king. He led them through judges, and they cried out and said, we want a king like the rest of the nation. So God gave them Saul, and Saul became their king. And so now they're a kingdom, and things went okay for a while, and, and ultimately uh, David was king, and Solomon was king, and then there was some disputes in his family and the kingdom was divided you had a northern kingdom and then a southern kingdom so all of the tribes except for judah were the northern kingdom and there was disobedience and rebellion and god sent the prophets and the prophets came and said don't don't turn away from the word of god obey him obey him obey him and they disobeyed him so he sent the assyrians a godless pagan hostile wicked evil nation isn't that interesting how god will do that to come and take the northern kingdom into, out of, out of uh, the land of uh, Judah into captivity, into Assyria. And then the southern kingdom is there, Judah, and the prophets are saying, we need to repent, we need to repent, or we're going to end up like they, they did. And they didn't repent. And then the Babylonians took them captive, and that's where Nehemiah comes into the scene. So all of these generations have gone by, and they've forgotten who God was and what he had done for them. So when they build these booths, I know it's taken me a long time to get there, So when they build these tents, these tabernacles, these booths, they're remembering what God had done for their parents and their parents and their parents and their parents. They're remembering that God provided for them through the wilderness wanderings when he took them out of Egypt where they had to live in tents. And they're reminded of God sending manna to feed them and sending quail from heaven to feed them and sending water out of a rock to feed them, to, to to quench their thirst. And they're reminded of that activity so that today, and by the way, in exile, they needed to be reminded of that. Today, God is still God. He's still going to work. I know I said this recently, but you find it throughout the Old Testament. Whenever God challenged uh, someone to do something, he reminded them of who he was and what he had done. When, When he called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses says, okay, Lord, but who should I tell him sent me? He said, tell him I am is my name. And that can be translated in the Hebrew, I will be what I've always been. Same verb tense. So here's what God says to Moses. Go tell them I will be what I've always been. Go tell them that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is the same God who's working today. See, past activity of God giving me a foundation for trust and obedience today. Now what has God done in your life, in your past, that you can step back and say, wow, Thank you, God. You've provided. When I was at seminary and didn't have money to feed my family, God provided. When there was no income, God provided. When there were no jobs, God provided the jobs. When, when I've been in places in my life where I struggled financially, God provided. When I've been in places in my life where I've struggled with my faith, with my trust, God has shown me again and again that he's faithful. So let me tell you, folks, my looking in my past, the activity of God in my past becomes a foundation for trust and obeying him today. It's, in essence, God can say, Kevin, when have I ever let you down? When did I ever let you down? 
God, you're right. You never have. You never will. I think about the life of our church and how we became, uh, we were in debt and we got out of debt and that was a major hurdle for this church. And then as we've grown and continue to give through debt-free ministry, increasing our gifts to missions and sending missionaries and how God just keeps showing us, you, you were faithful there and I'm going to be faithful like I was there today. When I've gone through the crisis in my life and I've opened that journal and I've read back of what God has done, I just say, thank you, Lord. I know I can trust you. I have to be reminded. They did too. So here's, here's what God says to them. Just be reminded of how I've been and you can trust me. I need to move on, don't I? Number five. Thanks for not saying amen real loud. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, but this point's not real short. I got a whole bunch more to say, so. Number five. This joyful obedience comes when, I, when I'm willing. This is it. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. To make significant adjustments in my life. Significant adjustments in my life. Rick Warren said, instant obedience will teach you more about God than a lifetime of Bible study. Make significant adjustments. Verse 16 and 17, we've been reading these, but they got the branches in verse 16. They brought them back. They built roofs on the, I mean, booths on the rooftops, in their courtyards, by the water gate, by the square, by the gate of Ephraim, all over. They, they, they said for this period of, of these, this week, these seven days, we're going we're gonna to give up the comforts of home and we're going to live in a tent on the roof or in the backyard or in the courtyard. It'd be equivalent to us saying, I'm going to turn off the air conditioning for a week. Some of you, that's just hypothetical, okay? I know. My wife just cringed. To say, I'm going to give up the comforts of home for a while. I'm going to make some adjustments, and I'm going to go gather up these branches, and I'm going to build these booths just because that's what God said I'm supposed to do so I can remember him, and he must know what he's talking about. Significant adjustments. Now, let me just, let me just say, that's where you get to experience who God is. When you start to make changes in your life, you don't just talk about it. You don't just say, I've got it up here. You don't just say, this is what it is. You don't just teach it. You begin to make adjustments in your life. I've used a little acrostic in, in encouraging people to study their Bible. Got this from Wayne Cordero. I love it. It's, it's, you just take the word soap because the Bible talks about the washing of the word. Soap. I, I've shared this recently, but I'm going to share it again. This repetition's good. S-O-A-P. S, Scripture. When I spend my time with the Lord alone, I'm going to start with Scripture. Whether I read a verse, a passage, a chapter, S, Scripture. So start by reading the Word. O, observation. What does it say? What are some things there that, that God's Word says that I can write down? A, application. What does it mean for me today? How do I apply this to my life? And then P is for prayer. A prayer of asking God to apply to, for me to live out what I've said I'm going to apply. Now listen, if you skip A... You just become a fat Christian, spiritually, okay? You just become full of biblical knowledge. I study my Bible every day, pastor. I mean, it's SOP. Some of you will get it in a minute. I, I do. I, every day, I do scripture, I observe, and I pray every day. You come to know God by experience, folks. We come to know God by experience when we apply his truth to our life, when we make adjustments to our life. I had a long argument with a guy one time about how every Christian should tithe. 
And in the midst of all that, he was saying every Christian should tithe. And I said, I don't know what we're arguing about. And then I realized he, he, hadn't, he wasn't tithing. I said, I don't understand. You're telling me everybody I did, but you're not doing it. He hadn't learned it. By the way, every Christian should tithe, right? That's where everybody says amen. You said it. So walking in joy is dependent on me making adjustments in my life. We sang the song, God of Justice. Love that song. We're to have our heart and eyes on the brokenness of people that God would send us out of this place. By the way, we're going to do that at the end of the service today. We're going to send somebody out. But there's a phrase that we sing repeated in that song, fill us up, send us out, right? And I want, to, I want you to understand what you're singing. You didn't know this, but this is what you're singing. When the Bible talks about in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit, he's not talking about God pouring more of his Spirit into us. Because when you receive Christ as Savior, God's Holy Spirit came to live within you. He's a person. God doesn't chop him up and dole him out piece by piece. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. See, we don't need more of him. He needs us to yield more of ourselves to him. So when you sing, fill us up, send us out, you're saying, take control. Did you know that? I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want to be controlled by your Spirit, yielding my life to you so I can be sent out. Maybe you'll sing that song differently next time. See, I believe clearly that being filled with the Spirit is not to have an ecstatic utterance or a, a, some kind of an emotional uh, uh, reaction, but to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. Jesus said you'll recognize them by their fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I get them all? The fruit of the Spirit. Say, what's the fruit of the Spirit? It's evidence that you're filled with the Spirit. How do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? There'll be fruit in my life. I will be yielding my life to his lordship. He will be demonstrating that he is master of every area of my life. That is what it means to to be filled up and sent out. God will make major adjustments in my life if I let him. That's how I come to know him, by obedience. Man, think about Noah. God says, Noah, go build an ark. To obey God that guy had to make some major adjustments in his life. Aren't you glad Noah obeyed? You better be. Because if he hadn't, where would we be? We wouldn't be here. We come to know God by obedience, by, by experience as we obey him. That's what God's called us to do. You want the joy of obedience? God wants to restore renew you spiritually that in your life you'd be making adjustments in your life where he is evident evidently lord of that area so that he could then use you to draw other people to himself let's pray together